Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast back on schedule, recording on Wednesday of this week after recording a little bit early last week. And I didn't think that it would be a big deal, but as it turns out, we did miss a uh, recruit that came down Wednesday, but that just gives us one more bit of recruiting news to talk about today as it has been a very, very busy week for South Carolina. And it was funny because in the last couple of weeks, the three of us have talked about what the recruiting, uh, I guess what what would happen on the recruiting trail now that players were reporting back to campus. And obviously coaches are still not allowed to be involved with the exception of strength and conditioning coaches. So uh, maybe I was a, a little bit premature in anticipating that there would be a little bit of a a dip or, or rather a sort of a resume to normalcy in terms of uh, I guess this being a relatively quiet recruiting period but it's been very busy for South Carolina since last we spoke Carolina has gotten three more commits um, and as we've done for the last couple of weeks I guess ever since Will Muschamp's teleconference on that Monday when everybody reported we're going to dig into whether or not this is a real commitment or whether or not this is what Will Muschamp has been calling a reservation since this is such an interesting time for recruiting but we'll go ahead and get started with the guy that committed South Carolina last Wednesday again we just missed it because we recorded the podcast early last week but Wes uh, tell me about Jordan Davis what kind of player Carolina gets with him and what his recruitment was like yeah well you know we'll start with uh, what the recruitment is like I guess Um, you know we recorded last Tuesday we were talking about how Carolina had a spurs up from Monday that had not been revealed and uh, that was actually Jordan Davis Three-star offensive lineman. Um, he actually landed an offer from South Carolina on Monday, and uh, you know last Monday, and obviously uh, quickly accepted it. Uh, I guess wanted to maybe get a graphic ready or um, just sort of get everything in order on his end, and uh, you know before he put it out, which is pretty common with with prospects. And um, you know a, a kid that obviously just wanted to jump in the boat once he had the offer. Um, someone that South Carolina I think is obviously high on. And uh, someone that they, they've already got a kid from there, Jordan Rhodes, uh, who's a redshirt junior, obviously, on the current team, uh, started 10 games last year. And I, I think there are sim- some similarities to where they are maybe as prospects right now. But um, obviously at the time was the first offensive line commitment for South Carolina and mm-hmm. uh, sort of got the ball rolling on the class there. So, uh, Chris, you want to you wanna talk a little about Jordan as a player? Sure. I mean, so, you know, Jordan, and, and I, I think you made a good point in making the similarity to the other Jordan from Creekside High School uh, in, in Jordan Rhodes and that, you know, both guys coming out of high school were a little raw. Jordan Rhodes mainly because he had not played football for that long. Um, Jordan Davis is just the guy that, you know, you talk to coaches around that area or coaches that have seen him play, even coaches within that Creekside program, you know, you get a lot of the same adjectives to describe him, a lot of the same descriptors, and that is, you know, he's a big kid who can move his feet. He's got a lot of potential as a tackle, um, but he's also sort of raw. And, look, when you look at what South Carolina has coming back, particularly at tackle, you know, they've got some younger guys, they got some older guys. And so, you know, they'll, they, they've been able to address both of those and bring in some guys in that, 
you know, like a Justin Turnatine in last class who could come in, step in, play immediately. Then we saw that with Dennis Daly, who, you know, came in and, and was able to, to make an impact. But also some guys who played as freshmen, Ja'Kai Moore, Dylan Wanham, Jalen Nichols. I think Jordan Davis is a guy that will, will take a little while to develop, but you also have some time because of the depth that they built up at tackle. You probably got some time to develop them too. So, again, a little bit raw. But you look at the canvas that he brings as a player that Eric Wolford can sort of mold. He can refine the technique. He can probably, you know, pull some more aggression out of him. That's one thing that an area coach told me, you know, like see him be a little bit more aggressive. But when you look at just the baseline of what he can do in terms of movement ability, he's, there's a lot to like there. When you look at a recruitment like this, as you mentioned, Wes, it, it all sort of happened very quickly. Obviously, we've talked ad nauseum about how unusual this year is in terms of the recruiting cycle and the early commitments and, and things like that. But in general, when you see guys commit like very soon after getting an offer, does that does that tend to indicate that this is, you know, this is maybe where this kid always wanted to play or that he feels like this is like already going to be a great fit? Or do you see a higher rate of people that commit very quickly after receiving an offer later decommitting? Yeah, I think it all depends on the kid and it depends on the timeline as well. I, I think generally you know, if it's really, really early, if you're talking about like a high school sophomore or high school, you know, like rising junior that's going into his junior year um, and his first big offer and a kid commits, generally that sort of says to me like, okay, this is basically like this is the the kid's leader right now really as opposed to a true commitment. Uh, You know, that's obviously not the case with, with Jordan Davis. You're talking about somebody going into their senior year I think there was maybe a situation where he was probably familiar with South Carolina a little bit from Jordan Rhodes being there. And, um, you know, in this case, I think the fact that he jumped on the offer means that, uh, you know, he was obviously high on South Carolina. And, you know, something else I, I think worth mentioning is that, you know, he was a kid South Carolina had obviously been monitoring for a while and really fits in the category of these guys that just haven't been able to be, you know, make it to a lot of schools, obviously haven't been able to camp. He's someone, like Chris talked about, when you look at the canvas here, anytime you have a big athletic kid like that, the the next step is really just to monitor them, stay in touch, and then get them in camp. And um, obviously that was not possible in in this case. And in in the case of uh, Jordan Davis, South Carolina, actually had got – they got some type of fresh tape on him. I don't know if it was another cut from last year or just maybe – some video of him working out, you know, recently, you know, showing movement ability. I'm not sure the details, but mm-hmm. uh, they got some fresh tape on him. And um, he, he's put on some weight, really, some, from what I was told, some good weight, 6'5", 290 now, um, is a long-armed kid. And uh, really the only Power 5 school that he's even visited is Georgia Tech. And when Georgia Tech had him on campus and saw him in person, uh, they offered immediately as well. So it uh, really just fits that mold like we've been talking about as a kid who really could have potentially landed some more offers if he had been able to get to camps. But, um, you know, schools just had to sort of gather as much information and then and then go, you know, and go or pass, mm-hmm. really. And South Carolina decided to go on him, obviously. And I, I think, uh, you know, I've talked about this probably on the 107.5 show. If you have – you know, unless it's just a five-star, no-brainer, um, just obvious, like six-five, three hundred-pound kid that's fully developed, 
Um, there's only a handful of those guys in the country every year. You kind of have to take a trade off, and it's either going to be a guy that's not quite as athletic, but is technically sound, is already developed, is sort of closer to a finished product, project, or someone that's raw but athletic and has the physical tools where you think you can develop them. That doesn't mean you're always – it's not always going to turn out in either of those scenarios. Maybe the guy you take that's technically sound just isn't athletic enough to stand up against SEC competition. Mm-hmm. You know, may, maybe Jordan, you know, Jordan Davis either does or does not develop into an SEC starter. But we've seen, if you want to talk about trends, we've seen Eric Wolford lean towards taking the guys who, like Chris said, are blank canvas and are athletic enough to fit what you're looking for. And then you just have to take enough of those guys and, and develop enough of them that it works out for you. And I think Eric Wolford has a good enough track record that, you know, for all the Carolina fans right now that are, you know, moaning about all the three stars that Carolina has gotten commitments from lately. And I'll ask you more about that later, just in sort of a, a bigger picture kind of way. But I feel like you just kind of have to trust Eric Wolford. Uh, Chris, I'll, I'll bounce this back to you for a quick tangent because you and Wes said something that was interesting to me last year that uh, you know, oftentimes defensive backs are sort of the last guys to emerge in recruiting classes because it's, you know, like harder to break down. To, I think that was what you said, or, or just in terms of the guys that are late bloomers, like those are the guys that you normally get later in the classes that you're going to wait till their senior year and, and things like that to make a decision on. It feels like offensive linemen would also be in that category, and especially given what's going on right now. Uh, it, I mean, is it just, is this going to be, is this going to be an uncharacteristically difficult offensive line class? Because I, I imagine most of those guys fit into that category of mostly late bloomers as well, especially, I mean, even once guys get on campus, it's it's a, the highest percentage probably of any position group of guys that redshirt that need that time to get ready physically. So is this just going to be a lot of guys taking a chances on like relatively unknown commodities? So I'll, I'll break that down in two parts. So the first one about, you know, that positionally what, when, and, and which one's most difficult and, and why we sort of, what, what I think you're referencing that we said about defensive backs is just sort of, as far as South Carolina in particular, they really like to see defensive backs in camp, if possible, in a camp setting. Now, they offer guys early, um, you know, et cetera, and, and some guys commit early, but they really like to see those guys in camp. And, I mean, heck, even last summer, uh, O'Donnell Fortune and, and Joey Hunter were both guys that earned offers in camp after South Carolina saw them. They knew, but it's not like they got to camp and South Carolina said, I've never heard of this guy. They obviously knew, you know, who those guys were, but they just wanted to run them through the testing ringer. They wanted to, you know, see how they were coachable. They wanted to see, you know, how could they move. And Will Muschamp's talked about this a lot. It's just it's difficult sometimes to get a read for a DB on tape. Now, sometimes you can see some things, you know, how he can turn his hips and what type of ball skills he has. Is he dangerous after, you know, he picks the ball off? Um, can he run? is he physical you can see some things but sometimes the tape can lie or the tape's difficult and so you really want to get a feel for those guys in person and it can be the same with offensive linemen with bad tape or just sort of tough to to get a feel for how he can move what's going on there in the trenches so you know linemen I mean look you want to have every possible player in camp because I could talk about any position I could say okay this quarterback I want to see him in camp I want to see how he throws and how he's coachable I want to see you know, a receiver in camp, you know, to test him. And, and, and there you can apply those to any position. And South Carolina applies it to every position. They want to see as many guys as possible in camp. And, and that's the case at most at most schools, um, if not all of them. But, you know, th- this class, you know, look, it's more of a challenge in general 
and just because you don't have the spring evaluation period, you don't have summer camps, you don't have those typical evaluation tools, and we'll see what this this season looks like as far as, you know, is South Carolina going to be able to say, go out on the road and watch some guys in games? We just don't know yet if that'll happen or, or when. Um, this offensive line class is going to be a small one. I mean, right now, technically, they're at the, their allotment. I mean, they wanted to take two guys in this class. They've got both of those guys now with Davis and John Darius Morgan. Could the staff take another? It is still possible, um, but it just depends. So I wouldn't say it's, you know, it's challenging in the sense that you don't have those tools, camp and eval period, all that, but, but that applies to every position. Um, I, I think it's just more of they were able to go ahead and hit their allotment for this class, which is, which is a good thing if it's two guys they like. Well, we'll stick with the offensive line class because uh, the next guy I want to talk about, and uh, Chris, uh, I'll let you take this one since West Jordan Davis, another offensive lineman. Uh, I don't know if this just necessarily means he's gonna, he's a, a little more ready or a little bit less of a project, but John Darius Morgan, 6'4", already listed at 306 pounds, so has about 15 pounds on Davis from Birmingham, Alabama. Walk me through his recruitment and what kind of player South Carolina's getting. So South Carolina actually offered Morgan, I think, earlier this spring, um, it wasn't too long ago, but they've actually had a, an offer out to him for a while. And really in the past few weeks, um, he, he sort of behind the scenes became a guy that South Carolina really wanted. Obviously, when you think about the fact that they were looking at taking two in this class, and then that, that, that narrowed even further right after Davis committed, you know, then you had one spot, two at the absolute most. You know, your board is already narrow going into the cycle, and it continues to narrow over time, whether it's guys committing elsewhere, you get more info on guys, or you offer new guys. And so as all that was happening, you know, South Carolina, Wolford really zeroed in on Morgan as, as the guy it wanted as a second offensive lineman in this class um, out of sort of that pool and, and were able to get him in the boat. And we talked about this last week, I think, and that there was, you know, not that you pressure a guy, but there's, there now became a little bit of a squeeze, right? Where if you if you want in, you know, to occupy that second spot, you do it. And so, um, you know, that's sort of how it played out in terms of, you know, Wolford really liking him, really zeroing in on him behind the scenes. And there's a lot to like about him as a player as well. All right, so Wes, uh, he's got a few more offers, a little more interest from some of the other Power 5 schools, uh, Arizona State, Georgia Tech again, uh, Louisville in the mix. Uh, what's your projection for him as a player? Listed as an offensive tackle, um, but again, already has good size on him. Is he someone that you think would, would transition inside, play a little guard for Carolina, or is he a true tackle? Yeah, I think he's one of those versatile guys that, that could do either. Um, you know, I, I talked to John Darius right after he committed, and he said that the message he was being told was, was basically that he was someone that they liked his versatility, liked the fact that he could maybe do both, but that he was probably going to end up more as a guard at South Carolina. And I really think that's, um, you know, for one, if you only take a two-man class, then, um, you know, like Chris said, it could be a two-man class, could maybe grow to a three-man class, but, but not expecting a huge class. Then you probably want to take, you know, maybe a guy who is a pure tackle, which I think that's what Dave is, and then, maybe a guy who could could do both. Um, you know, most of the time, I, I think your tackles are, are going to be your more athletic prospects. So, in, in general, if, if a guy plays out there on the edge in high school, then, uh, you know, maybe you put a little weight on him and grow him into a guard and, and move him there when you get him. And I, I think that's probably the most likely case with John Darius Morgan. And, 
Um, you know, fit, fits that mold, though. We, we've talked uh, versatility, I, I think, is a trend in this class. You know, we, we talked about Jaden Johnson, who committed last Monday, being someone who plays a number of positions. Um, you know, you, you look at Caleb McDowell, the uh, running back commitment. He's someone that plays a lot of defensive back. Uh, obviously, we'll get into Omega Blake here shortly. But uh, really, versatility, ability to sort of move across, uh, play different positions at a high level seems to, to be a trend with this class, and I, I think that's the case with, with Morgan. And, and really is the case with, with most South Carolina's offensive linemen. I, I think you see Wolford likes to cross-train guys between the two spots and, and likes guys. You know, South Carolina uses that philosophy of you're not necessarily a direct backup, as in if you're the second-string left guard, that doesn't mean you're necessarily going to go in next if the left guard goes down. It's more a philosophy of, who are our best five, and then who's the sixth best, and what's the best uh, sort of combination of guys that gets, you know, the next guy on the field if somebody gets hurt. So I, I think if you're going to take that approach to a, uh, you know, to a game day, then obviously you need to take that approach to recruiting as well, and I, I think that they certainly do that. Uh, Wes, you sort of anticipated my next question uh, for Chris in terms of the cross-training. We know that Will Muschamp likes to cross-train his cornerbacks and safeties and that gets talked about a lot and it sounds like Wolford does the, the same kind of thing so is that is that a wolf specific thing or is that just a trend around college football right now I wouldn't say it's wolf specific because we do see at other programs you know a, a guy a swing guy who can go and play multiple spots if needed uh, tr- again like what like West characterized it trying to find that six guy like, like who's your who's your six guy who's the first guy off the bench who's the first two or three guys off the bench you know you, you hear them talk a lot in terms of you know finding your best eight you know you want to have eight or nine offensive linemen you feel good about and that's not so you have like Wes said a backup at this spot this spot you, you find who's the best guy can he play multiple positions and so we have seen that um, you know, I, I mean, just as a quick example, just because it's the first one that came to my head, I mean, Alabama had some guys that, you know, played, you know, center or guard or guard and tackle, you know, just depending on if you had a guy go down with injury or if you're rotating a guy in and out. So I think some schools do do that. Um, Wolford certainly has, you know, other schools rotate guys more. You know, Clemson, for example, um, rotated offensive linemen a little bit more. Will South Carolina do that more in the future? I mean, maybe, because they're starting to build up some depth, and, and so you, you feel like if a guy, if you need to pull a guy to, to send a message or maybe he's not having the best game, you can do that or you can rotate some guys. I don't know, but he's typically stuck with more of a, here's our five, you know, and, and he'll make a change if he needs to for performance reasons. So that that'll be interesting, but I think it's not really South Carolina specific, but it is something that um, you know that that Wolford certainly prides himself on in terms of uh, mm-hmm. from what we can tell on the recruiting trail in terms of just finding guys that can play a bunch of positions. You know, Eric Douglas, for example, I think has has in practice at least played every position on the team. I think you know he's worked at guard, he's worked at center, he's worked at tackle, so he, he looks he looks for that in guys. And it just seems like college football is heading in that direction, you know, hybrid safety linebackers and guys playing, you know, corner and uh, safety. And you mentioned, uh, Wes, a couple of guys, you know, offensively. It's like, okay, well, you know, this is a guy that can be a tight end or wide receiver, somebody that can do a little bit of everything a la, you know, Pharaoh, a la Debo. You're you're a wide receiver, but we can do some running back kind of stuff with you. So it's all kind of of trending towards versatility. Um, But I guess I was just wondering if that – 
had completely spilled over into offensive line because it also does seem like there there are some places, and maybe this is wrong. Maybe it, this is just like perception because I, I you know I'm not behind the scenes as much with those other teams, but it seems like some places are like, all right, you're a tackle, and we're gonna draft you. I, I guess kind of like Justin Turnitin. I mean, when you draft someone like that, there's no chance he's gonna play guard or center. He's just a tackle, and I guess there just seems to be a little bit less of that now in general, um, and especially as you think about South Carolina. Because I mean, other than Justin, is is there any guy? right now on South Carolina's roster that's basically just one spot is basically just a tackle or a center or whatever? Um, You know, Dylan Wanham has, I think, now he could play right or left. But there are a few guys. I mean, Jalen Nichols, the staff thought during recruiting, could play guard, but I think he's mostly been tackle. You know, uh, most of the centers, you know, have gotten looks at guard, like Hank Manos, Vinny Murphy. You know, Eric Douglas, I mentioned, has played really four or five spots. So there aren't many, you know. Um, I would say most of the guys on the roster have played. And Wes, you can correct me if I think I'm off on this, but I think to my recollection, like most of the guys on the roster have at least gotten a look at, you know, a few spots um, or a couple spots. But there, there are some that have mainly stayed outside or mainly stayed inside. All right, well, speaking of versatility, another guy in West, you already mentioned him, uh, but Omega Blake. I, and also, just as a side note, before we talk a little bit more about Omega, South Carolina doing a really great job with guys with awesome names. We talked about the specialists coming in, I guess, in the class of 2020, and Kai Kroger and Mitch Jeter, or maybe they're counting for 2021. I don't know how that happens, but they're going to be on campus this year. You have Omega Blake, O'Donnell Fortune, Jerkari Caldwell. Carolina just really putting together like an all-world, all, all world, like elite-level, awesome-name football team, and Omega Blake is... Certainly going to vault to the top of that list, especially if his production can match how cool his name is. Um, another three-star guy out of Rock Hill, so a local kid, South Point, Devonta Hellman's his coach. Um, that's as good a segue uh, as any into his recruitment, Wes, what it was like, um, how quickly this transpired, how quickly this came together, and what kind of player Carolina's getting. Yeah, you know, South Carolina obviously officially offered him about two weeks ago, and you know, we're recording this on, on Wednesday, so it was it was two weeks ago on Monday, which is actually the day that Omega committed. So uh, he committed two weeks to the day from getting the offer. And, and really, I think um, once South Carolina offered, unless there were some major changes as far as other offers go, that really sort of locked him in as being the pick. Um, you know, he's someone that they monitored for a while. They had him in camp last year. They've, they've watched him, um, you know, sort of develop and, and really this is a situation where they were monitoring the academics as much as anything. You know, we, we don't really go into much detail on stuff like that, but that was sort of the primary deal. Uh, he had a good year in the classroom this past year and was able to put himself in a good spot there. And uh, South Carolina moved forward with the offer. And, you know, this, this is a scenario where Alabama was, was asking around, Clemson was asking around, Georgia was asking around, and, really much like South Carolina had been monitoring him closely as well. And, you know, I, I think if one or two of those had offered, it would have at least made things interesting and maybe extended the recruitment out. But once South Carolina offered and those schools didn't quickly follow up, uh, I think South Carolina, you know, he, he called them the dream school for him. And if you look at sort of the timeline, you know, when he, when he was growing up, when he was a kid, uh, you know, Stefan Gilmore, Devontae Holloman, who's obviously his coach, like you said, um, Jadavian Clowney. It was really the golden era of South Carolina football and the guys leading the way. Um, you know, a lot of them were from right there at, at South Point where he's at right now. So I think just seeing the program then really put it in mind as being where he uh, 
he wanted it to end up. Uh, Wes, we asked you this on our local show, on the Halftime Show with Jay Phillips yesterday, so I guess I'll toss this one to, to Chris to see if he has the exact same answer, which I imagine he will. But how much of a factor was it? Uh, not that Devontae Holloman would have pushed him to go one way or the other, but just that that relationship existed and just that, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Wes, him growing up watching Holloman uh, and then watching him at Carolina, you know, how much of that do you think actually plays a plays a part in this recruitment? Well, it, it certainly didn't hurt. I mean, uh, like you said, I mean, Devontae's a stand-up guy who's going to do the best for, for his kids and is not going to push a guy somewhere. But certainly Omega, you know, Devontae's a guy that Omega can look up to because um, he, he played at South Point senior season, went to South Carolina, went to the NFL, unfortunately had his career cut short by that injury, but was doing well in the NFL. And so certainly there's some things he can look at and say that this guy did it. And he did it at South Carolina. And like Wes said, I think that's one reason, you know, when, when he was coming up in his sort of formative years, watching those teams that Devontae played on and, and had a, a huge role in, that that certainly helps, you know, but even if an indirect way. And, you know, Devontae Holloman's got a good relationship with Will Muschamp, Gamecock staff, you know, and they're able to talk and he's able to keep them apprised of how Omega's doing, you know, on the field and in the classroom and they can pick his brain as they typically do with any high school coach about, Hey, how's he progressing? You know, what do you like? What are some areas he needs to improve in? And he's able to keep them up to date on all those things. And and they have a good relationship where there's trust and honesty there. And so uh, I think all that certainly helped. Uh, Wes, obviously listed as an athlete. I think he's played a little defensive back and a little wide receiver is expected to come in and play wide receiver at Carolina. But what's the extent of his versatility? Is he someone that Carolina foresees being like a real multi-tool Omar Infante kind of player where he's just going to do a million things like like Debo or, or, or like Farrow, or is he more of a pure wide receiver? Well, I think he's listed as an athlete because of the fact that he's someone who could play and that South Carolina likes both as a receiver and a defensive back. Um, you know, I don't necessarily see him maybe being that, that Debo guy as far as how you use him on offense. I think there's maybe some other guys that fit that a little bit better, but I, uh, you know, I, I think he's someone certainly that it's a scenario where if it didn't work out at wide receiver, which, uh, you know, it sounds like the plan is for him to, to play receiver and start out there, then certainly he could slide over and, and play some defensive back. But you watch what he does at, at South Point, uh, plays some quarterback, plays receiver, plays defensive back, is a, a big part of the return game. I think even, uh, Chris, does he punt as well? I think uh, I think he actually maybe punts for him too. So um, th- he he just does a lot at, at South Point, and I, I think that's why he gets the athlete tag. And like I said, South Carolina likes him on both sides, but it, it certainly seems like this is headed towards him starting out at, at receiver, and they really like him there. In honor of uh, baseball being back, I guess the the players agreeing to the owner's proposal, I felt like it was appropriate to give that Omar Infante. Shout out was that was that was that a good one, Wes? I know you're a big Braves fan. It came, the Infante uh, shout out came out of nowhere. Um, I'll, I'll give you that. I was uh, expecting more of a reaction. That's why I had to bring it up again. I love that dude. He was awesome. Well, it, it I I mean really I just sort of I was in football mindset and I, it took me like so by surprise that I was having to catalog, uh, you know, go through my head of, of what you were talking about. But but yeah. Um, I, I'm excited for baseball, man. I'm still, uh, like I said on y'all's show yesterday, I'm still like, 
a little bit in disbelief. Like I have to see them on yeah. the field before I'm actually going to believe it. But it seems like everybody has agreed. And now we have to hope that there's not some – like what happens if there's a major outbreak, you know, in for like what, what's the protocol for like if half a team uh, gets COVID? I, I don't mm-hmm. know. So I'm, I'm just hoping with the 60-game season that, that we get this thing in. And um, the Braves are definitely going to the World Series because I have a pack that – if the Braves go, that me and a group of guys are going to the World Series. Oh, nice. So it would certainly be the year that no fans can be there. <laughs> yeah, no, right? That's exactly how it would work out. Maybe you can just get some cool, like, Atlanta Braves masks and, you know, socially distance in the stands and, and wear the mask and gloves and be safe. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. If you're a baseball fan, you're definitely crossing your fingers. But it looks pretty good right now. But, anyway, I just wanted to get a little Brave shout-out in there. Uh, Chris, one more thing on Omega Blake. I'm always interested when guys are recruited as athletes or have a couple different different positions, whether it's you know DB and wide receiver, some guys that'll you know play on both sides of the line or, or whatever it may be. Uh, do you know how much uh, Omega's desire to play wide receiver played in the recruitment and, and some of these other places that have offered him? Were they recruiting him as a defensive back, or is it just a matter of you know do what you can to get him in? Well, I, I think you know a lot of guys like Omega. They look at it if they're not strictly a DB or that sort of definitely a hundred percent it's pretty obvious that that's their brightest future you know some of them look at it and say sort of whatever's best and that omega told us multiple times that really he, he would be fine with either side of the ball um he he didn't even say hey I, I like the idea of the ball in my hands but i'm I'm open to db or i like db too it's really it, it does not matter to me is what he pretty consistently told us so, you know, you look at some – like Kentucky, for instance, had him on the board strictly as a defensive back, and they've had some success with bigger, those longer-limbed sort of defensive backs, and, and Omega has that size at six foot two. You know, Will Muschamp, you know, had him – frequently told Omega he was on the board as an athlete. Um, now, Muschamp, I'm sure, as a defensive coach, looks at him with that sort of defensive eye and and thinks about him a lot in terms of the potential as a defensive back, but – but also, I do know that the staff, including Muschamp, really um, thinks highly of his game as a receiver, too. And I, and I honestly expect that he'll start his career as a receiver. Mm. And I think, uh, you know, talking with Devontae Hallman the other day, he mentioned the same thing and that, you know, he had some things that he really did well at receiver, just some natural things that he did to where he felt like he would also begin. He, he also felt like Omega would begin his career there, but there's no doubt that, you know, he has the skill set, I think, and, and some of the athletic traits and the competitiveness that you look for in a defensive back. I, I've been on record, and, and maybe this will end up being a, another wrong prediction on my part, but I just, I've always liked his potential a little bit more as a defensive back. Hmm. Not to say he cannot be a quality wide receiver, but I've just liked him because of that, you know, because of that length. I just feel like he, he, may have a little bit of a higher upside there. But, again, I, th- I think he'll start out as a receiver at South Carolina and just see where it goes from there. Yeah, 6'2", and I think that's like the, the low end of what Will Muschamp will allow for defensive backs. It's I mean, it's amazing. Like I, I'm sure there's one, and I'm, I'm exaggerating a little bit here, but it just seems like he hasn't brought in a defensive back that was shorter than 6'2", and in several years. Uh, one more quick thing, and this is just a random curiosity that arose. Uh, did Devontae remember you, Chris, and you, Wes, when y'all talked to him? I'm I'm sure you know we didn't talk about that. Mm. I think so because we've kept we've kept in touch. Yeah, you know over the years, but that that did strike me 
the other day uh, when I was talking to Devontae and that, man, th- this is sort of crazy. Like I'm getting older and, <laughs> and uh, you know, and all that, because, you know, I remember, I remember when, because Devontae was of course committed to Clemson, Tommy Bowden got fired. He reopened things, you know, South Carolina was immediately on the case with Ellis Johnson. You know, North Carolina made a big push. LSU made a push. Clemson was, was trying to hang in there. And I still remember interviewing Devontae after he took his official visit to South Carolina, hmm. you know, and, and, and st- that came to my mind yesterday. So that was sort of crazy. And he's he's still a very similar guy, you know, just pretty, pretty even keel and um, definitely did some really good things at South Carolina, developed into a really good player. And I think he's going to be a, a really good coach at South Point, too. He's got more talent coming up in that in that uh, in that crop that he's got over at South Point. Um, Wes, same question. Any any sort of like recognition there? Like, hey, I remember one time you asked me a ridiculous question after practice or anything like that. No, I, I actually I haven't talked to uh, Devonte about uh, you know Omega. I know Chris had the story with him, but but it has been kind of cool. You, you know, these guys that we followed during recruiting, and then of course during their college careers, starting to see them like, you know, get to the age where they are, um, you know, making uh, making big impacts. I, I mean, you look uh, – I got to interview Mo Brown um, a few weeks back with him, obviously, uh, you know, involved in politics now and just uh, someone that I had gotten to know during the process and while he was at South Carolina. And then, uh, you know, you see Marcus Lattimore using his platform uh, for good. And, um, you know, I, I actually it was fun – I talked to Justin Parker. I know uh, Chris talks to Justin some as well, who uh, is, uh, is, a, is a Clemson guy. And uh, we, we ran into him a while back at one of South Carolina's camps and just talked about, you know, he's like, you know, y'all used to interview me back in the day. And now he's a, you know, he's a head coach uh, at the high school level. So um, it, it's kind of funny. A lot of these guys, even if you don't stay in touch and even if they don't like, remember you specifically I, I think they they obviously you know like a guy like Devontae Holliman like he remembers Gamecock Central in general I'm, I'm sure and uh, at least has some you know memory of, of being interviewed even if there's not the specifics I guess yeah and it's, it's you know to Justin that was funny because we were able to sort of give him grief about never answering his phone towards the end um, yeah, in the process, because yeah. because man, he yeah, he, he sort of shut things down, and we had we were laughing about that. But there's also been, you know, there's been some guys make impact at the college level. You look at a, uh, you know, Cliff Matthews is what the D line coach at Limestone. Yeah, uh, yeah. You know, you got Travian Robertson at Georgia State. Um, I mean, another guy who, you know, we we kind of covered didn't didn't end up going to South Carolina, but uh, Daquan Bowers, I think, is the D line coach for Jeff Scott at South Florida now. So. You know, there's a bunch of guys that are, uh, you know, that we covered back in the day that are, you know, whether it's high school or college level, making a making a significant impact, whether it's coaching or some of the off-field type stuff that Wes mentioned. That's yeah, Bryce Allen Williams is a uh, grad assistant at yeah. Georgia State now. Mm, that's right. Uh, Casey Crosby just got hired as an assistant at uh, Oceanside High School down near, to, now near the beach. So, yep. yeah, a lot of these guys are, you know, Perry Orth doing his uh, quarterback uh, development business. Um, Jacob August actually just got involved in doing that with some skill guys with receivers and tight ends. So, um, you know, I, I think uh, now Corey Boyd was a little before my time, but I, I think he's got 
you know, a, a company where he's developing high school players as well. They grow so. up so fast, don't they, guys? <laughs> they do. Yeah. They do. Yeah. Well, that's really cool. Um, all right, I wanted to ask you one more thing, and I was going to save this for the end, but you mentioned it, Wes, and I don't want to get too far removed uh, from this observation because I think this is important because a lot of Carolina fans have been complaining that South Carolina has so many commitments from three-star guys, not enough four-star guys, no five-star guys, obviously, at this point. And, again, we've talked so much about what this means, how many decommits you know, we expect to get once players can actually you know, go make official visits and go back to college campuses and start to, I guess, involve themselves a little bit more in that process. So none of this is, by any means, anywhere close to set in stone. It's less set in stone than it normally is even around this time of year, which is already not that set in stone. With that, also, you have Carolina that just went 4-8 and eight with a lot of uncertainty on, on the coaching staff in terms of the future of the program, the program stability, and things like that. So the fact that Carolina's already gotten this many guys and a couple of four-star guys is, is probably you know, better than you can expect from most schools that just went 4-8 and eight last year and, and have a relatively uncertain future. But that being said, I, I just wanted to ask so that we can address it because one thing that you mentioned with Omega is, is I think, interesting because you look at his offer list, and it's South Carolina – and then it's some places like Appalachian State, and it's East Carolina, and you know, you—I mean, you have it. You have Kentucky and Ole Miss, and you know, Michigan State. I, I think showed some interest in them. Tennessee, North Carolina State. So you have some of those programs. But when you mentioned that Clemson and Alabama and programs like that are sniffing around, I think that immediately validates a player. Now, some people would push back and say, "Well, hey, you know, they, they were sniffing around, and there was something they didn't like because you know they didn't offer the kid." But at this point, again, it's so early in the evaluations. So, I mean, Wes, just. Speak to those people that have been super negative about that. And look, if, if you are, maybe you're right. You you have every right to you know feel however you feel about it. But it is just it's interesting, and because it's such an inexact science. And even you know I, I'm someone that normally doesn't look at stars, and instead will look at you know offers and what other schools were interested. But you know what what is Alabama and Clemson sniffing around Omega Blake mean relative to actually having offers from places like Michigan State and Ole Miss? Yeah, well, I mean, I think. I think to to just mention App State first, we're probably misrepresenting how impressive of an offer list he actually does have. I mean, he's got 30-plus offers, like you said, Tennessee, Kentucky, um, you know, Louisville and Virginia Tech were the other two finalists, um, you know, Ole Miss, um, like you said, Michigan State. There's a, no, a number of other Power 5 schools in the mix there. So, um, you know, it's not like Omega has a, a bad offer list. And I think – you know, Alabama, Clemson, Georgia—they're—they're they're able to be as uh, selective as anyone in the country right now. And I think certainly the fact that again, South Carolina was sort of sold here as a player on Omega, but they were waiting on you know to get more academic information. And if you're if you're one of those three schools we're talking about, if there's any potential strikes. You know, as far as an evaluation, you, you don't you don't have to offer. You know, you just move on to to the next guy. And um, you know, we we don't know if if he wouldn't have gotten an offer from those guys if if time had just sort of passed a little bit and they had continued watching him, continued gathering information. Who knows what would have happened in a couple of months? But uh, you know, certainly I, I do think that there was interest there. Um, you know, there there was even some talk that Clemson was sort of trying to hold Omega Blake off, you know, and sort of, hey, you know, we're, we're going to offer, we're probably going to offer, just hang tight, hang tight, as they got more information on him. 
Um, obviously, he decided not to wait and to go ahead and commit. Mm-hmm. Um, so that didn't happen. But, yeah, I do think it, it speaks to his uh, ability as a player. Chris, what should fans' concern level be at this point? Again, given all the uncertainty and, uh, like I said, given the fact that they just went 4-8, and eight, like this is this is like a probably – probably pretty reasonable thing to expect in terms of the number and, and the, the quantity and quality of guys that are committed to South Carolina right now. Yeah, I mean, I, I think I, I honestly separate those things between, you know, concern and how you assess the class. It's okay to be concerned because, um, look, going into this season, it is concerning. I mean, we knew, again, going into this class, we knew or we tried to tell people, it doesn't mean you got to accept it or be okay with it, but we tried to tell people, this is not going to be a heavy star power class. There's not going to be two five stars in this class. You know, there's just not. There's not a five star guy in state. There's not a, a, a guy where, you know, almost a rabbit out of a hat situation with Marshawn Lloyd. But, well, so it went from sort of maybe the most quality class that Will Muschamp's brought in. Time will tell, but that's what it looks like on paper. And then the season doesn't go well and all those different things. Um, so concern is completely fine. And, and if you look at the class and say, well, I don't like, the three stars or whatever, that, that's okay. I mean, it's, it's fine to, to think that. Um, but I think you do have to be realistic with it in that the team went four and eight. Coaching staff was placed on the hot seat, had to deal with all that. Um, and, and you go into the season needing to improve for sure. And so it's a big year from that standpoint. And you still have a chance to stabilize things. But there's a ways to go in recruiting. You know, but you think about those things and the fact that you didn't have a spring eval period and you didn't have summer camps and um, it wasn't projected to be a, as big of a class momentum wise in terms of star power. I think that makes it understandable. So I think it's okay to be concerned, but you can also recognize that there, it does look like there are still some good players in this class, you know, mm-hmm. um, is it, is it an amazing one top to bottom? I mean, I don't think you could look at that and say it's some elite class right now, but there's a ways to go. And I think there's some good pickups, especially in the circumstances but what you do have to recognize is it's very important for South Carolina to have a quality season this year. Um, what's your definition of that? It can depend, but they got to at least get to a bowl, I think, to, to stabilize things. And then from there, uh, maybe if you go and you have a good season, maybe you, you know, recruiting reopens and maybe you're able to get back in on some big time guys or, or, you know, stay in with some of these big time guys that they're still in it for and go out and, you know, sign more star power. I think it's just to be determined, but, mm-hmm. Um, you, you, you can look at it, I think, for, with a moderate stance. I think, I think it's okay to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, I think, like you said, that that's sort of the right way to look at it. If you're if you're disappointed that there aren't more five stars in there, that's probably okay. But I, I just don't think it's realistic to think that that should necessarily be the case. But I think it's completely reasonable, I guess, for the fan base to want that, to want the program to be better and more stable and and have more guys. But that's just uh, not where it is right now. Uh, GamecockCentral.com is where you can find uh, all the interviews, updates on all these guys, and a couple more that we're going to talk about in just a second. So subscribe to GamecockCentral.com. Subscribe to the GamecockCentral.com newsletter because that thing is packed full of information, and it comes free in your email inbox every single morning. And it's just... I mean, it's no fluff. It's just chock full of information. It's great. Um, honestly, I use that a lot in my uh, show prep every day because it keeps me abreast of everything happening in Gamecock Nation, especially as football season is closer and closer to getting underway and recruiting is as lively as ever. And uh, also, subscribe to the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. That's what you're listening to right now. It gives us a, a, a platform to delve a little bit more into it and to have random tangents about Omar Infante and whatever else uh, 
we feel like distracting ourselves with at any given on any given Wednesday. Uh, before we get out of here, I want to talk, uh, talk about two more guys that we are expecting to hear something from at some point, two other guys that are on Carolina's radar. Um, I'll split it up, and I will let you start, Wes, and give the latest on Jordan Poole. Yeah, a kid out of um, North Carolina, one of South Carolina's top linebacker targets, and recently put out his top three, South Carolina, NC State, Virginia Tech, and um, just an, an outstanding athlete somebody South Carolina had in camp last year, offered at the time. Um, you know, they, they've stayed in touch with him, I would say, for, for the entire year, but really I, I think started to gain some steam with him the last few months. Um, you know, Kyle Krantz is very involved there. Des Kitchings um, had some connection to that school. So once he came in, I think that gave South Carolina a little bit of a boost. And uh, Rod Wilson, obviously, is the linebackers coach, very involved too. I don't have a feel yet for which way this one's heading. Uh, you know, Chris and I are digging on it um, to give everybody – uh, you know, try to give everybody a little bit better feel for what's going to happen there. But uh, a commitment could be coming, you know, as soon as the 1st of July. So, um, you know, someone that I, I think is definitely worth paying attention to and, and tracking right now. Uh, the other guy that I think Carolina fans are curious about is Keon Coleman. What's the latest with him, Chris? Yeah, so Keon's a guy that, you know, South Carolina's remained in the game with. He's, he's taken a little bit of a slower approach to recruiting, although he did just narrow his list. South Carolina made that cut, uh, Oklahoma made that cut, and Kansas did. And so I think you look at those schools, and it's an interesting mix, right? South Carolina, I think, has done a fantastic job of recruiting, and Brian McClendon started it. Uh, Joe Cox has really been on Coleman hard and building a really good relationship with him, as is Will Muschamp personally. You know, you look at Oklahoma, and they've had a lot of success, obviously, with receivers. It, most most big-time receivers coming out, especially guys a, a little bit more out that way, are going to at least have Oklahoma, you know, maybe not in their top three, top five, but they're going to they're going to be, you know, capturing their attention. I think a lot of people look at Kansas and say, "What the heck?" But you know, you remember the last miles tie, last miles at, at LSU, and uh, you know, Keon Coleman being from Louisiana. So he, this is a big athletic kid that South Carolina has really liked as a receiver prospect. He's got a lot of upside, a lot of potential. And so they've been recruiting him pretty hard. You know, spots, obviously, at receiver are getting tighter, and there's still a lot of guys on the board. But it's this this one has the feel, I think, Pearson, of a guy that, if I had to guess, that they'd probably go the distance with. Mm-hmm. seems like they really like him. And although he's taken a slower approach, you know, he did sort of narrow that list down. I'd imagine he may keep things open, if, you know, to some new offers. But uh, it'll be interesting to see if he commits early without, you know, the benefit of taking more visits. For some visits in general, or if he'll, you know, try to wait things out and see whenever in-person recruiting reopens, that's certainly a question that a lot of prospects are dealing with right now. So by the time we record this time next week, uh, we may not have an official word on either one of those guys, but whenever it does happen, uh, Gamecock Central will have it. And uh, just as a as a small teaser here, because this is a curiosity that I have, and I, I was going to ask you guys about today, but we're just about out of time, and I figured it might be better spent next week when we don't have as many guys probably to talk about, although who knows. I wasn't expecting to have uh, three commitments to talk about when we recorded this time last week. Um, but committable offers. Again, don't answer this now, but just be just be thinking about how best to explain this because uh, I think this confuses a lot of people in terms of what is, what is not a committable offer, what it means, what it means for the school, what it means for the player. I, I think just like the actual bare bones of what it is is, I mean, it's, it's pretty self-explanatory, but what the implications of 
committable and non-committable offers are, I, I think is sort of another piece as people start to unpack exactly, you know, what these what these commitments and, and what these recruiting classes and, and how to, I don't know, just how to parse this in a time of uh, even more uncertainty than we than we normally have in an already uncertain business. But uh, Wes and Chris, great stuff. As always, thank you all so much for listening. Again, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to the Gamecock Central Podcast Network, and we will talk to you next week. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs>